So sociologists talk about three different types of poverty. They'll talk about material poverty, and I think we all know what that is, right? That's where you don't have the finances to support yourself or to support your family or in a meaningful way. They, they talk about spiritual poverty, and that's where you can have all the finances in the world. You can have all the physical wealth and material wealth, but you can be spiritually bankrupt. And then they talk about another poverty that's really interesting, and it's something that I don't re think we realize its effects it's having on our lives. And they talk about relational poverty. Relational poverty, that's where you can have people all around you, be surrounded by people. Right now, you're surrounded by people. You can be connected via social media and even have hundreds or thousands of friends. And you can follow many other people, and yet, you know that inside you're more isolated and more lonely than ever before. I don't want you to raise your hand on this, but I think it's kind of interesting if I were to ask you how many of you, at this point in your life, you find that when the phone rings and you look down and so you know it rang, how many of us don't answer the phone anymore? That we're like, I'm just gonna let it go to voicemail. I don't wanna take the call. I'll listen to the voicemail, and then I'll make a determination if I call them back, right? But we kind of have their, they talk about this phone answering anxiety that now exists in our society. The verdict is still out, but it seems as if Facebook and other social media that is meant to bring us closer together might actually be draw, uh, driving us further apart. The reality is we are more isolated and more lonely than ever before, and yet we long for intimacy. We long for depth. We long for relationship, for community. Every time I've gone on a, a long-term mission trip, I'm confronted with this. And I'm not talking a short trip when we, you know, go down in the spring to Mexico. I'm talking 10 plus days in a third world country. And I get into these countries and, and you see the material poverty and it's all around. And yet spiritually, it seems like some of the, these people have so much more than we have. But one of the things you notice that I notice when I'm on these trips is, oh my goodness, the relationships. They don't have what we have physically and materially, but they have something in relationships. And when I return and I see all the physical wealth that we have and my heart just kind of gets jealous for those type of relationships. And I find myself saying, man, I'm missing something that I don't have. That the people that I just came back from serving, they have that. And maybe it's not so much that I or you are missing something, but it's that we're missing someone. We're not missing something, we're missing someone. And that brings us really to the key idea or key thought for this morning and today. And that is this, is that you or I, you might be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. You might be one relationship away from changing your entire future. We see this over and over in Scripture. I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. You could also go on your phones to the YouVersion Bible app, and, and we're in there, and our notes are in there, and you can track along with us. 
And let me set this up for you as you're turning to Acts chapter 9. There was an individual named Saul, and Saul uh, was a person who hated Jesus' followers. And the Bible talks about how he would watch over as Christians were even killed. And so he had this vendetta, this, this, it was like this religious fervor to protect Judaism, and they thought, he thought Jesus was an affront to Judaism, and so he wanted to stamp out people who were, who were followers of Jesus. And he, he wanted them killed, he wanted them destroyed. But then, he made a trip to another city to stamp more of them out, to kill more of them, and on the way he gave his life to Jesus Christ. It's an incredible conversion. And what we're going to see now is, as after he did that, people didn't necessarily trust him or believe it, and one person stepped in. And Paul, this person named Saul, which we also call Paul, who eventually became the Apostle Paul, his whole life was changed by one <coughs> friendship. So let's see how this gets set up. Acts chapter 9, verse 26 it says, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. See, he had been in Damascus, and now he's like, hey, I'm a Jesus follower. I want to go see back to Jerusalem where I'm from, and I want to join the disciples. But notice what it says. It says, they were all what? They were all afraid. They were afraid of him. Why? Why is it that they're afraid of this guy named Saul or who we call Paul? They're afraid because they did not believe that he was really a disciple. They thought it was a whole gimmick. They thought it was a whole ploy. They thought, here's this person who's, he's going to try to infiltrate our ranks and figure out who we are and, and destroy us so they didn't believe it. But God used one individual to step in and change his life. Verse 27, but notice who it is. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the, to the apostles. Barnabas says, I'm going to put my entire credibility on the line for this Saul, this Paul person. And I'm going to step up for him. I'm going to stand up for him. And so he told, look, look at verse 27. He told the, the apostles how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so because he vouched for him, because he stood up for him, and notice verse 28, Acts chapter 9. So as a result of Barnabas stepping in, Saul stayed with them, the apostles. And he moved about freely in Jerusalem. And because this one individual stepped in and was able to change the course of his future, notice what he was able to do. He was able to speak boldly in the name of the Lord. Please don't miss it. God used one person, Barnabas, to change the course of Saul or Paul's destiny. Because of this one relationship, Saul became the Apostle Paul and went to, on to impact millions upon millions of lives over really these last 2,000 years. When you open up your New Testament, he's the individual who wrote most of the New Testament. The course of human history was changed because one friend was used by God. Do you realize that you might literally be one friend away from God changing your entire future, your entire destiny. You might be one relationship away from living the life that God desires for you and that God intends from you. And God can also use you to be that one 
person to provide that one conversation that could change another person's life. Because that's what God does, doesn't he? He uses one conversation, one circumstance, one situation, one person, one friend to change lives. Most of us in here have probably never heard of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher and his goal was to lead the young men that he taught to Jesus Christ. And he wanted them all to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. There was one individual in his group who was a little bit of a rowdy guy and wasn't really connecting with the group and kind of just, it, it wasn't happening. And, and Kimball, you know, he would pray over this individual. He'd spend time, try to spend time with them and do everything he could to lead them to Christ. One day he felt the Holy Spirit calling him to go to this individual at his workplace. A teenager went to his workplace and Kimball gets there and he shares Jesus Christ with them. He lays out the gospel again. And God was in, in it that day. And that individual ended up giving his life to Jesus Christ. His name was D.L. Moody or Dwight Moody. And maybe you've heard that name. Dwight Moody went on to lead thousands to Jesus Christ because of Edward Kimball. One of the many thousands who responded to Moody's preaching was Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman came to Christ, gave his life to Christ at a, movie, uh, a moody revival. Chapman then himself, through that relationship with Moody, he ended up going on and preaching to thousands himself. One time he was preaching and a professional baseball player showed up at one of his, you know, his crusades, his revival. And that professional baseball player heard Chapman speak, and he decided to give his life to Christ. He decided to quit baseball and to join Chapman's team. His name was Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday went on and spent time with Chapman and began to grow and to learn from him. And then through that relationship, Billy Sunday went on, and he began to do revivals and crusades. And through his revivals and crusades, another person came to Jesus Christ. His name was Mordecai Ham. Through that relationship, Mordecai Ham started preaching and teaching and doing revivals himself. Then one day, a teenager by the name of Billy Frank came to a Ham crusade. Billy Frank gave his life to Jesus Christ. Billy Frank went on to preach the gospel to more people in human history than any other person. Billy Frank has preached the gospel. People have heard Billy Frank preach the gospel. How many people? Two and a half billion people have heard the gospel from the lips of Billy Frank. Well, you and I might know Billy Frank as who? Billy, Billy Graham. And this fascinating chain of events was triggered by a Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball who had a desire to see his class come to Jesus Christ. And I almost as a side note, I would just say this, if you're here this morning and you teach our young people, our students, you teach our kids, do not despise the small things as the Bible talks about. God's using you to change kids' eternity and their destiny and you have no idea how that plays out down the generation. So I want to encourage those who teach our young people and our kids, keep it up. I'm so grateful for you and I'm so grateful for the time and the energy that you spend teaching them all about Jesus. That all happened because of Edward Kimball, a Sunday school teacher. By the way, in a sort of way, I'm here on this stage this morning because of Edward Kimball. 
My wife, Heather, gave her life to Jesus Christ at a Billy Graham crusade. And if, I, if she hadn't did that, we would not have gone to the same college, we would not have met at college, we wouldn't end up getting married, and we wouldn't have ended up planting this church here in Elk Grove. God can use one person, one conversation, one relationship, one friendship to change your life and to change the life of others. What I want to do for the remainder of this morning is continue down this thread, and I want to look at three friends who helped David. We did a series on David earlier in the year. I'd encourage you to go back and watch or listen if you missed any of it. David, God used three people to help David become the person that God wanted David to be. And what we discover is that the right people help David become the right person. The right people help David become the right person. And your life can be better if you're be willing and praying about and seeking out these type of friends in your life. Your life can be better if you'll have these friends. And you can make the life of others better if you will be this type of friend. Have these friends and be this type of friend. So let's look at these three individuals who helped David become the person God wanted him to be and literally changed David's life, which changed history. The first person we'll talk about is Samuel. And I, the ideal team player, that's the series, uh, title of our series, relationship rock stars are friends who make other people better. You want to be a relationship rock star, man? You seek to make others better. Let me give you the context for this story with Samuel. In the Old Testament, Israel, does anybody know who Israel's first king was? Anybody know? Saul. His name was Saul. It's not the Saul we looked at earlier, but a guy named Saul was the first king. He sinned so greatly that God rejected him as king. God took his spirit from him, and he told the prophet Samuel, I want you to go to another's house, and I want you to anoint the next king. So Samuel obediently follows God. He goes to the home of Jesse. He says, I want you to bring in all your sons, and, and, and I have a message from God, and I want to deliver that, and I want to put God's anointing and God's present upon them. So Jesse brings in his sons. And as they stand before him, Samuel sees him and is like, oh my goodness, he looks like a king and he looks like a king. Man, this guy has a family full of people who look like kings. But God kept saying no to that one, no to that one, no to that one. Why? Because 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The Lord looks at the, the heart. And so they may have looked like kings, but they weren't a king in their heart, and they weren't someone who was going to receive the anointing of God in that way. And so there was no one left, and Sam was like, are you sure there's no other sons? And then Jesse's like, well, I do have another one. He's kind of the run of the family. He's out, in fact, tending the sheep right now. Sam was like, well, go get him. So they bring in the runt of the family, David. And he comes in, and in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12, it says, then the Lord said... Rise and anoint him. This is the what? This is the? This is the one. Not all those other guys who had the appearance of a king. This is the one. Verse 13, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Man, you know what's so interesting? There isn't a single person who saw in David what God allowed Samuel to see in him. 
no one in David's family even thought he would ever be worthy of an anointing. I mean, the dad didn't even bring him in when Samuel arrived. But Samuel looks at David, and he looks at him, and he's like, listen, God can do some amazing things in you. He can do more through you than you could ever possibly imagine. God has chosen you. God's hand is upon you. Can you imagine David receiving that in the front of all of his brothers? And thus Samuel helped David in a way that changed David's life. It changed his destiny. And of course, ultimately, this changes human history because one of Sam, uh, David's descendants ends up sitting on the throne, ends up being the Messiah, the, the Messiah, the Savior, which is, of course, Jesus Christ, a descendant of David. I want to ask you this morning, do you have someone in your life that helps make you better? at that which matters most? Do you have someone in your life who helps make your marriage better? Do you have someone in your life who helps make you be a better boss, an a better employee? Do you have someone who helps you be a better coach or a better parent? Maybe, what about, do you have someone in your life who helps you to be a better Jesus follower? One pastor says it this way. He says, friends will always determine the quality and direction of your life. Friends will always determine the quality and the direction of your life. In other words, it's real simple. If you show me your friends, I'm going to show you your future. Show me those who you spend time with, who you invest in, who you hang out with, and I'm going to show you what your future looks like. Solomon, the wisest person to ever walk this earth, essentially said the same thing. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, he said, walk with the wise. If you walk with the wise, you will become what? If you walk with the wise, you will become wise. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Man, listen, if you're hanging around people that eat donuts for their workout, you know, you are not going to get in better shape. This is not going to happen. If you're spending time and hanging out with people who have terrible marriages, they're not going to help your marriage get better. I spend a lot of time with leaders who are better than me at being leaders. And I do that purposefully and intentionally because I want to be a better leader. I hang around and spend a lot of time with water skiers, my favorite sport. I hang around with people who are water skiers who are a lot older than me. Now, I do that on purpose because these people are 10, 15 years older than me, and I watch them, and I'm inspired by them. Yesterday, we were out on the lake, and it was a phenomenal day, and I'm watching a guy who's about 12 years older than me and watching him ski, and I'm watching that going, I want to be like that. I want to still be skiing at that age, and I want to get better. I want to get better. I want to get better. If you want to be a better leader, if you want to be a better spouse, a better parent, a better boss, a better employee, a better Christ follower, a better anything, then hang out with, spend time with people who will help make you better. And at the same time, God wants to use you to help others be better as well. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 20, 27, verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And God wants to also use you to help others be better. Can you imagine that? 
Imagine if you had friends around you who would make you better. Maybe that's something that God's calling you to start praying about, start being purposeful about and intentional about. Imagine if you had a friend who would help you be a better person. Imagine if you were somebody who makes other people better. Samuel was that to David. Well, David had another friend. He had Samuel, but David also had another relationship, and that was with his friend Jonathan. See, ideal team players, relationship rock stars, are friends who help others find spiritual strength. Let's fast forward in David's story together. David goes on and he defeats the giant Goliath. He eventually becomes a military war hero. His fame is building. All the women start to notice David and, and, and his fame is building with them. And so then they start singing, writing songs and singing songs about David. And one of the songs that they, that they wrote and then sang amongst all the people was found in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6. And here was their, so their song. They said that Saul, who was the king, right? Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands. In other words, King Saul is pretty good. But David is great. David's the goat, you know, so to speak. He's the greatest of all time, not Saul. And Saul gets jealous because of David's fame and popularity. So he lays out a plot to kill David. Now what's very interesting, if you know the story of David, is that David spent years and years and years being faithful to Saul as one of his servants. And yet he decides to kill David. First Samuel chapter 23, in verse 15, it says, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan, who was a friend of David's, went to David at Horesh and helped him find what? Help him find strength in who? In? He helped him find strength in God. What a powerful verse. That's like one of those verses that we can kind of glance over, but I think it's incredible. He helped him find strength in God. Listen, I don't care how spiritual you are, every single person in here gets tempted. And every single person in here gets bummed out. Every person in here gets discouraged. And there's times in your life where it is heavy on you. Can you imagine having a friend who would come alongside you and who would help you and help you find strength, who walks up to you and says, hey, I'm here for you, and I don't just want to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you right now, and I want to encourage you, and I want to support you, and I want to give you words of comfort, and I want to help you along. You can count on me. I'm so incredible, or I'm so incredibly grateful to have friends like that in my life. Now, uh, the reality is I'm just not a mushy type, emotional type f person who wants to sit around with my friends and talk about our feelings. <laughs> right, Lino? I mean, it's just not, you know, it, it's so any of you who know, it's just not our thing. Steve and I, you know, we're not going on backpack trips, you know, kumbaya and sharing all our feelings and everything. You know, it's just not, Nate and I, I mean, you know, it's, definitely not sitting around talking about all our feelings, right? And so that's not who I am or who we are. But I can share when I need to. And when I do, my Jonathan friends, they ask questions, and they'll draw out of me stuff that needs to be drawn out. And then they'll encourage me. And us knowing each other, we know that includes 
certain characteristics and attributes. For example, a lot of my friends and I, we just like to laugh. We like to have a good time. We don't take life too seriously. I know some of you, that's kind of like, you know, your mission in life is to take life serious, but it's not us. And in fact, I asked one person, a friend of mine, uh, uh, one of uh, his animals isn't doing so well, and it's lived a long time, and then we, like, we eat on a weekly basis right now. It looks like it's heading out to pasture and going to die. And, and then he shares a story where it's still living, and it's kind of this going on back and forth. And we'll, we'll call him up and go, hey, is he still alive? He's like, yeah, he's still kicking. And, you know, and so, so I asked him, I said, hey, I'm doing this sermon. I'm just curious. I don't want to lead you in this talking about humor, right? I said, I said, the day you call me to say my dog is dead, what's gonna be the first thing out of my mouth to you? And he said, you're gonna say to me, that's a shame. <laughs> now there's only a couple you would even understand the reference. Some of you are like, what, Chris, you'd say, that would be the first thing, that's what he said I will say. And I would, I'd be like, right? Would I not say that? I'd be like, oh, that's a shame. It's a Seinfeld reference and about Seinfeld's just lack of care and compassion and all that. And we joke about it and we laugh together, but then we'd get serious. And then we'd be like, oh man, we're so sorry. You know, and all that. But that's just, we know each other. And we know how to care for one another. And we know laughter's important. And we know there's a time to laugh. We also know there's a time to, to cry together and to speak truth together, and to inspire one another together. I can still remember the time all my friends called me when my dad was passing away. And I can remember vividly when a bunch of them called around the similar time, and, and I can remember exactly where I'm standing. I can remember exactly the window I was looking out. I can remember the tree that was out there uh, on the, across the street. I remember it all. I remember those conversations. And the exact things that needed to be said in that moment were said. They were a Jonathan to me in that moment. They helped me find strength in a time when I was down. We all need the Jonathan types in our lives. But also, don't rob yourself of the blessing of being a Jonathan for others. God wants to use you to help others find strength in God when they need it. So reach out and be there for them. Help them, encourage them, pray for them. Be used by God to lift them up. How can you be an encouragement to others? How can you help others find strength in God? When they're down, lift them up. When they're alone, go comfort them. Encourage them with scripture. Call them, pray for them. The list is endless. We want to look for and pray for friends who will help make us better. We want to look for and pray for friends who will help us find spiritual strength in God. But finally, David had another person in his life named Nathan. And Nathan was an ideal team player. He was a relationship rock star because he was a friend who was willing to tell the truth. Your life and my life will be better if we have friends or a friend who will love us enough to tell us the truth. Now in scripture, we learn that David was a man after God's own heart. He loved God, he loved God's heart, he cared about the things of God, and he was focused on God, but then there came a point for David where he took his eyes off God. He took his heart off God, he took his focus on God, and he turned his attention to a married woman named Bathsheba. 
He ended up committing adultery with her. He ended up having her husband murdered. He broke the heart of God and he put the whole kingdom of Israel at risk because of his sin. Now, David didn't see it at the time. He didn't realize the gravity of his sin. He didn't understand. He couldn't comprehend because he was so deep in it. He didn't realize the impact it was having on him, his family, and the kingdom. So God sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David the truth. Nathan shows up and says, I'm going to tell David a circumstance or a situation or a story. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. And here's what Nathan says to David. He says, King, I, I want to tell you about this situation. And there's this rich man, and he has, he has, he's so wealthy, he has so many lambs and sheep and goats and animals. He has as many as you can imagine. And then there's this poor person. And this poor man, he was so poor, he literally only had one animal. He had this one little lamb. And he took care of that lamb and protected that lamb and fed that lamb. The lamb was like a friend to him. They went everywhere together. And then one time a traveler was coming through, through town. And as would be the custom, that is, the wealthy person would, would need to, you know, take care of the traveler and provide a meal for him. And so uh, Nathan went on to tell David, he said, David, this traveler came through. And the wealthy man... Rather than take one of the lambs or sheep or goats from his herd and offer that to the man, he decided to go to the poor person and take his one lamb. And he took it from him and he slaughtered it and he fed it to the traveler. And David heard this and he was like, that's quite something. And then he went on, he says, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Who's this wealthy guy? He needs to be put down for that. He should die. How could he be so insensitive and so uncaring? How could he lack compassion towards that poor person who all he had was the one lamb? And then in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, it, then Nathan said to David, you're the man. You're the man. You're the guy, David, because you did this to Bathsheba. You took Bathsheba from her husband. And you even had him killed. And then suddenly, suddenly, the truth was spoke and David's eyes were opened. He was confronted with his sin. He was confronted with the truth he needed to hear. Sometimes this week, I want to encourage you, read Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's uh, prayer of repentance after hearing the truth from Nathan. And it's his prayer, this broken-hearted prayer before God. It's a powerful prayer. Psalm 51, read it this week. Do you have a friend who loves you enough to say, don't go there, don't do that, don't travel down that path? That's going to hurt you. That's going to hurt your marriage. That's going to hurt your relationship with God. Or maybe you need the type of friend who kind of put it more in a positive light, who comes alongside of you and says, man, you are so incredible. You need to apply for that promotion. You need to go after that. You need to step out of the, what you're in now and need to go this way. Man, do you realize what you can do by serving God with that gift or that talent or that ability? Whatever it is, you have a friend who's willing to say, man, give it a try. Go for it. I believe in you. I know you can do it. An ideal team player, a relationship rock star, they're not just going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what you need to hear. Proverbs 27.5 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. God's great desire is you have a friend like that, but also that you would be a friend like that. 
So, what do we need to do to, be, to have these type of friends? How are you gonna get these type of friends in your life? Well, I think your mom told you a long time ago how to get them. I think she did, I think she told all of you. She said, if you wanna have that kind of friend in your life, then what? Be that kind of friend. You wanna have that in your life, then you be that type of friend. And so we're gonna wrap up this morning, and I wanna encourage you, and I wanna challenge you to be this type of friend that you're willing to help somebody else be better. That you are willing to look at those around you and help them find strength in God and that you're gonna love someone enough to tell them the truth. 